I sometimes read uh, public domain books here on Leaves of Glen. And they were written a long time ago, uh, so they're usually uh, racist or sexist or bigoted. Uh, But in there somewhere and all that is a a story, and that's why those stories are famous. Other times, I read uh, works from independent authors, and they're delightfully not racist, but they might have adult language or adult situations. So that's your warning, uh, but I'm sure you uh, are grown up enough to handle it. Don't write to me complaining. Oh, hello, uh, and welcome to the Leaves of Glen Haunted Mansion, if I can find my notes. Uh, yes, it's a fun little bit where I pretend to live in a creepy mansion, not just recording my creepy basement. This is where I read the hottest public domain books and short stories. This week, I and my child, Audrey, are going to continue to read uh, The Spook House by Ambrose Beers. Want to learn about the author? Sure. Ambrose Gwinnett Beers was born June 24th, 1842 and died in 1914. No actual date, just 1914. Uh, Circa. That's what the C dot is for. I know, but Audrey has reasons why we don't have an exact date, which we're going to get into in a minute. So let me get on it. Uh, He was an American short story writer, journalist, poet, and American Civil War veteran. His book, The Devil's Dictionary, was named one of the... 100 Greatest Masterpieces of American Literature by the American Revolution Bicentennial Administration. His story, An Occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge, uh, has been described as one of the most famous and frequently anthologized stories in American literature. And his book, Tales of Soldiers and Civilians, eh, also published in the midst of life, was named by the Grolier Group uh, as one of the 100 <laughs> most influential... Fuck that up so bad. <laughs> Fuck off. For one, it's a club, not a group. <laughs> and it's Grolier. <laughs> 100 most, in, uh, most influential American books uh, printed before 1900. Fun facts from hell, because this is my Halloween-themed episodes. Okay. Don't look at me like that. <laughs> Audrey's got All fun right. facts. Go on. Talk about his son. No. First, oh. we have to say that he was a pioneering writer of realist fiction. Yeah. And he's up there with Edgar Allan Poe, H.P. Lovecraft, and his war stories even influenced Ernest Hemingway. Yeah. H.P. Uh, Lovecraft, he was, noted anti-Semitic. Nice. <laughs> he was considered an influential and feared literary critic. Feared? Yeah. Nice. He also wrote fables and poetry. Nice. Who cares about that? <laughs> the important part is that in 1913, Bierce told reporters that he was traveling to Mexico to gain first-hand experience in the Mexican Revolution. Mm-hmm. He disappeared and was never seen again. Which explains why there's no actual death date. Yeah. Because he was, he was a Civil War vet, yeah, and he was, like, in and out and in and out and in and out of the Army. Yeah. It was a bunch of times. And then he was like, you know what? I love war so much. I'm going to go to Mexico. <laughs> Maybe he just loved the camaraderie and the friendships. Uh, I'm sure. But he also had a son. He had many sons. Two of them and one daughter. Explain them. Hey, we, act, we got a lot of time before the clock strikes. We got this clock that makes you stop talking, and uh, we got a lot of time. Go! Well, then we might as well. No, we might as well not. What? His early life is boring. Nah, fuck his early life. He was a Puritan, English, what more do you want? That's all, <laughs> that's all you get. He left home at 15 to become a printer's devil, which I have just learned is basically an errand boy. <laughs> um, that, but it's like a cool title, so you don't yeah. feel bad about doing it. It's, it's a young apprentice in a printing establishment <clears throat> who performed a number of tasks such as mixing tubes of ink and fetching type. Yeah, that's boring. So, yeah. But this was at an abolitionist newspaper. Oh, oh, that's good. good for him. 
Good for him. Okay, get into the sun. We are starting to close in. Okay, okay, grandfather okay, clock. Right. He was oh, okay. I said already he was in and out and in and out of the military like four times. He got a brain injury and was out for a year, and then they said mm, you can't work anymore. And then a year later, he joined a different military. <laughs> He loved war. He did. He loved killing. But his personal life is where it gets interesting because he married... Oh, okay. Yeah, hit your vape really quick. We'll all wait. <laughs> I was trying to do it off mic so I had no one to hear it. Thanks for calling it out, asshole. <laughs> okay. He married Mary Ellen Molly mm-hmm. Day. Yeah. Oh, her last name was Day. Okay, on December 25th of 1871. They had three children, a son named Day, like D-A-Y, so which I guess was her maiden name. Oh. And Lee, spelled the funkiest way. What's spelled? It's L-E-I-G-H. Oh, Lee. Oh, yeah, yeah that's a really unfortunate okay. way to go about and that. And then he also had a daughter named Helen. Both of his sons died. Day committed suicide after a romantic rejection. He also shot the woman of his affections along with her fiancé. So mm. it was almost a murder-suicide. Mm. But he only got himself. And then, <laughs> and then the other son, Lee, died of pneumonia because he was an alcoholic. Oh, Bierce, oh. no, well, Bierce then divorced his wife in 1888 because mm. he found compromising letters to her <laughs> from an admirer. Oh. And then they officially divorced in 1904. And then she died the year after that. So On her own? Yeah. So they... Not by the hands of the person that can't stop going to war all the time? <laughs> just that she died the following year. Because they separated in 1888, they lived apart, and then they got officially divorced in 1904, and then she died the year after that. Huh. Well, with that, the grandfather clock's been he going He hated on. Jesus. He and he did? had asthma. <laughs> and now we have to go past the grandfather clock. There's no music. It's just silent now. Why did he hate Jesus? I don't know. <clears throat> he, was, he was agnostic, and he strongly rejected the divinity of Christ. This is okay. probably because his parents were, like, super, super Puritan. Oh. Um, but then what was the other thing? And he, wasn't a, he had asthma. Oh, yeah. Can you talk more about that? I can tell you what asthma is. It's a long-term inflammatory disease of the airways and the lungs. It's characterized by variable recurring symptoms. Is this in the Wikipedia article? Yes. This is the most thorough Wikipedia (laughs) article. It actually describes asthma when referencing. That's amazing. Um, And he also had complications from his war wounds, notably episodes of fainting and irritability assignable to the traumatic brain injury he experienced. Irritability? Like he got fussed? Uh, maybe th- does his fainting spell? Well, we'll get into that later. He had okay. brain dra- damage, brain I, traumas. I get it. All right. This Great. isn't even all of it. We're not even halfway done. We have, this is the longest fun facts I've ever done in my entire well, life. Well, you've got to be thorough. <laughs> you got to be. Do you have more or are you done? Oh, I have so much more. Anything interesting or is it horse shit? Well, there's his journalism career. That's average. Nobody cares about that. Come on. Um, he the railroad refinancing bill. <laughs> this is what you're making us go past the grandfather clock. <laughs> Low for. interest loans, <laughs> guys. <laughs> All right, I'm wrapping. He, no, 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 no. He persuaded a family member of Congress, a friendly, not family. They weren't family. Sorry. I was gonna say <laughs> a family member of Congress. He persuaded a friendly member of Congress to introduce a bill excusing the companies from repaying the loans. You're making us go this far past the grandfather. He clock. loved companies so much that the companies that were supposed to be paying loans to the U.S. government from the U.S. government. So, okay, so just let them not have to pay it back. Yeah, so just these companies that like took money from the government to really? make these railroads, mm-hmm. he went to his buddy in Congress and said, "Please pass this bill, please, please." And he was like, "Yeah, sure." 
And so then these companies didn't have to pay any money for the loans they took. So we've been doing shit like babying Elon Musk. We've been doing that since the founding of it this country. It was $4.23 billion today dollars. Mm. And they just got a free ride. They got a free ride. God, I wish I was rich. I wish you were rich. Oh, but in 1896, Hearst dispatched Beers to Washington, D.C. to foil this attempt. The, the, what, the attempt to pass the bill that yeah. you wanted to have happen? Yes. And Beers is like, okay, I'll try to kill the bill I got started. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm sorry. Collis P. Huntington persuaded this bill. Oh, and so, oh. so Beers is going okay. in. So Beers is Back a nice in the guy. Good graces. So Beers is a nice guy. Yeah. He's trying to get rich people to actually pay yeah. their shit. The good essence of the plot was secrecy. The railroads advocates hoped to get the bill through Congress without any public notice or hearings. Oh. When the angered Huntington confronted Beers on the steps of the Capitol and told him to name his price, Beers' Beers's answer ended up in the newspapers nationwide. He said, quote, my price is $130 million. <laughs> <laughs> if, when you are ready to pay, I happen to be out of town, you may hand it over to my friend, the Treasurer of the United States. Oh, well, well, look at Beers. Beers is kind of a badass. I kind of like this guy. He's anti-slavery. He's uh, anti-rich people getting away with uh, free money. This is pretty cool. And also, we're way past the grandfather clock, so we're moving on. Are you done? I'm sorry. No, no, I'm sorry. I'm not done. Because... (laughs) Uh, because you gotta listen to this now. <laughs> I love how you got quiet. Look, I'm sorry, dude. <laughs> I got more. Beers's long newspaper career was controversial, duh, because he was so progressive for his time. We love sure. this man. Yeah. On several occasions, his columns stirred up a storm of hostile reaction, which created difficulties for him. One of the most notable of these incidents occurred following the assassination of President William McKinley. When her opponents turned a poem Beers had written about the assassination of Governor William Goebel. He wrote a poem about he an assassination? He wrote a poem about an assassination. Different times. In 1900. And then this other guy tried to be like, look, this also applies to William McKinley. And then he got in trouble. Beers did. Beers got in trouble? Why? Because someone else took his poem about a different assassination and oh. tried to pass it off as the McKinley one. Amazing. Beers meant his poem to express a national mood of dismay and fear. But after McKinley was shot in 1901, it seemed to foreshadow the crime. Ew. He was thereby accused by rival newspapers and then the Secretary of War of having called for McKinley's assassination. Why is the Secretary of War involved in this? Despite a national uproar that ended his ambitions for the presidency and even his membership in the Bohemian Club. What's the Bohemian Club? We can look that up real quick. It has two districts of San Francisco, California. And Sonoma County. It was founded in 1872 from a regular meeting of journalists and artists and musicians. Boring. Oh, boring. Sounds lame. But, sounds pretentious as hell. So, Hearst, his whole career was destroyed, but he still employed my man Beers. They were still besties. Hearst? Hearst. Hearst is a horrible person. Oh, God, you should look him up sometime. He is a nightmare of a man. Well, I'm sure, but they were besties. Well, weird, but good. Okay, his disappearance! We- Oh, God damn it. <laughs> his disappearance. <laughs> Guys, his disappearance. <laughs> his fun facts is going on for like longer than the actual We're not even the halfway story. done at this page. <laughs> I'm only a, my little scroll thing is only like a quarter of the way down. I love that as you keep reading, I get up and go pee and I come back and you're still reading. <laughs> this is the good shit. <laughs> is this the good shit? Yeah, the story was so short. Who cares? This is fun. Fine. Just for anyone that's wondering, we read it backwards. We read the story first, we did the review, and now we're doing the opening of the show. So now Audrey's lit up. Mm -hmm. She's all got a a match under her butt, and she Mm -hmm. wants to keep going. 
His last known communication with the world was a letter he wrote to Blanche Partington, a close friend, dated December 26, 1913. Don't look at me like that. Who's Blanche? His close friend! (laughs) God! Why do we have his letter to Blanche? Who's Blanche? What makes his Blanche... close friend. This is about his disappearance. Fine. The last letter he ever gave, <laughs> the last letter he ever wrote was to Blanche Partington. Yeah. Who was a woman. But, well, I figured from the name. She's noted for her relationships with prominent California writers. That's how she got famous? That's how she got famous. <laughs> um, he closes this I letter. I your podcast voice. Like, well, that's how she got famous. <laughs> Anyways, Good moving on. Good yeah, exactly. After closing this letter by saying, quote, as to me, I leave here tomorrow for an unknown destination, end quote. He vanished without a trace. Well, but they knew where he went. Well, just to Mexico. Mexico, yeah. somewhere. Skeptic Joel Nickel noted that the letter had not been found. All that existed was a notebook belonging to his secretary and companion, Carrie Christensen. His companion? He concluded that Beers deliberately concealed his true whereabouts when he finally went to a selected location in the Grand Canyon and committed suicide. Oh. So this skeptic thinks that he told people he was going to Mexico, so they thought he just died in the revolution, and really he went to the Grand Canyon and killed himself. Is there any evidence to show he went to the Grand Canyon to kill himself? Mm. No. Just this one guy just thinking. I guess this his like notebook that was with the secretary. But do we... Does it exist? Is it just one person going, like, there's a notebook. Well, the notebook exists somewhere. Did anyone actually see it after this person called it out? Yeah, Skeptic Joel Nickel. But after Skeptic Joel Nickel called it out, did anyone actually go, I don't know. I'm just reading the (laughs) Wikipedia page. There was an official investigation. Someone else did look at it. Fine. (laughs) So he probably just killed himself in the Grand Canyon? Yeah. That's a little over the top. Uh, They contacted the Mexican government, investigated his disappearance, he was said, Bierce was said to have been last seen in a Mexican city. Oh. So. So this Grand Canyon thing is horse shit. Yeah. Okay. So Bierce is. Another uh, guy, a documented priest, mm-hmm. uh, states that he was executed by firing squad in the Mexican town in the cemetery. Wow, wow, wow. That's kind of cool. So, That's kind of badass. But ultimately it remains a mystery. Well. Yeah. He wrote in one of his final letters, Goodbye, if you hear me being stood up against a Mexican stone wall and shot to rags, please know that I think it is a pretty good way to depart this life. It beats old age, disease, or falling down the cellar stairs. (laughs) (laughs) And then he says, To be a gringo in Mexico, that is euthanasia. That's what he said? That's what he says. How are we supposed to take that? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> it's like, might be funny or might just be racist. I can't really tell what's going on I don't here. Know. <laughs> okay. Well, the grandfather clock stopped a long time ago. Can we move on? Yeah. That's all I got. He was just shot to death. Okay. You're done. <laughs> Okay, go. The Spook House by Ambrose Bierce. Nice work. Thanks. <laughs> Trying my best. You're fucking nailing it right now, dude. <laughs> On the road leading north from Manchester in eastern Kentucky to Boonville, 20 miles away, stood, in 1862, a wooden plantation house of a somewhat better quality than most of the dwellings in that region. Nice. The house was destroyed by fire in the year following, probably by some stragglers from the retreating column of General George W. Morgan when he was driven from Cumberland Gap to the Ohio River by General Kirby Smith. That's really specific. At the time of its destruction, <laughs> it had four or five it had four, four or five years been vacant. 
The fields about it were overgrown with brambles, the fences gone, and even the few slave quarters. You can just say N-word quarters. That's what I always say. So people understand that it's offensive, but also you're not saying the word. Okay. And outhouses (laughs) generally fallen partly into ruin by neglect and pillage. For the N-word and poor whites of the vicinity found the building and fences an abundant supply of fuel, of which they availed themselves without hesitation, openly and by daylight. By daylight alone, after nightfall, no human being except passing strangers ever went near the place. It was known as the Swook House. It was tenanted by evil spirits, visible, audible, and active. No one in all that region had doubted any more than he doubted what he was told of Sundays by the traveling preacher. Its owner's opinion of the matter was unknown. He and his family had disappeared one night, and no trace of them had ever been found. They left everything, household goods, clothing, provisions, and the horses in the stable, the cows in the field, the N-words oh, in the quarters. <laughs> All as so it stood, nothing was missing except a man, a woman, crawl. three girls, a boy, and a babe. Wait, there was three girls there? Yes, a man, a woman, oh, three girls. Oh, they were missing, got it. But they left all the animals to just sit there and starve to death on their own. Yeah. Nice. It was not altogether surprising that a plantation where seven human beings could be simultaneously effaced and nobody the wiser should be under some suspicion. No one cares about the uh, the slaves that were there. I That's a world. lot of commas. Oh, that welcome was only to the like world of public domain six, books. Six sentences, maybe? Yeah. All of it was commas? And... This is the world of public domain books. It's highly racist. No one <sighs> uses periods. And uh, it's not really well written. So okay. enjoy this. I'm glad you're experiencing this, because this is what I've been doing for two fucking years. <laughs> Go on. One night in June 1859, two citizens of Frankfurt, Colonel J.C. McArdle, a lawyer, and Judge Myron Vey of the state militia were driving from Boonville to Manchester. Their business was so important that they decided to push on, despite the darkness and the mutterings of an approaching storm, which eventually broke upon them just as they arrived opposite the spook house. The lightning was so incessant that they easily found their way through the gateway and into a shed, where they hitched and unharnessed their team. They then went to the house through the rain and knocked on all the doors, without getting any response. Attributing this to the continuous uproar of the thunder, they pushed at one of the doors, which yielded. They entered without further ceremony and closed the door. That instant, they were in darkness and silence. Not a gleam of the lightning's unceasing blaze penetrated the windows or crevices. Not a whisper of the awful tumult without reached them there. It was as if they had suddenly been stricken blind and deaf. And McArdle afterwards said that for a moment he believed himself to have been killed by a stroke of lightning as he crossed the threshold. The rest of this adventure can as well be related in his own words from the Frankfurt Advocate of August 6, 1876. So I uh, zoned out on the last half, that last paragraph, that last giant paragraph. What happened? I literally was not paying attention. <laughs> um, well... It's something about these two guys were going to the house. Yeah, they decided that they didn't care that it was getting dark and everyone knows this place is haunted. Yeah. And so they decided, well, they could see so well because of the lightning that they went in the house and thought that there were people there and mm-hmm. they just couldn't hear them because the thunder and the lightning. So they just let themselves in. Oh, that's the lightning's unceasing blaze penetrated the windows. Across. I thought they had like a fire going. Like I'm like, what the hell's no. going on? Okay, fine. And when they got in the house, everything went super quiet and super dark. And so this guy thought that he had been killed by a stroke of lightning as he crossed the threshold. Oh, okay. It's nice to have someone else read it for a change. Uh, it's better than when I'm reading and I start to zone as I'm reading. Okay, well, I'll be right back. Where are you going? Just none of your business. Thank you. 
Okay, I'm coming. And there you are. Oh, you look fantastic. Uh, I had to sneak up here because my kid's still downstairs. And it turns out uh, the woman I married, Gertie, is a pervert. Uh, I was going to end this whole little segment, this little bit, except that she said she kind of likes it. So she said as good as long as she can watch. So the two of us are up here while you stand there in your little suit. Oh, oh, and look at you. You look fantastic. You're dressed like my my pastor, Jaden. You look fantastic. What is that? Are you holding a scotch in your hand? For the first time that you've ever been up here in my romantic room, uh, here in, uh, hold on, let me check my notes, the master bedroom of the grotesque, where my waterbed is filled with blood. That's a bit I did before. Uh, and there you are, wearing a, a suit that I can finally get into. Well, uh, why don't we get into, uh, what the review is from the book that you left here on the bed. <laughs> <laughs> Just like real life. What? What? Oh, that's so cute. <laughs> Did you oh, make that? That's adorable. Did you do that at Emily's on Sunday? Yeah. That's, that's amazing. So cute. I showed you my fin hat. <laughs> <laughs> well, my kid's here in the romance room. And also, we have another guest in the romance room. My wife. Don't make it weird. Gertie. <laughs> so now this is the most uncomfortable romance like portion it? I've ever read in my I entire life. <laughs> It looks fantastic. It looks like Finn's hat from Adventure Time. It's a little white thing. It's a uh, big opening for your head to come out in little tiny ears. Okay. Are you going to wear it, like, in public? You should. I think it's cute. Well, I mean, when it's cold enough out. Well, I'm not horny. Let's get into uh, the story that we're supposed to read. Uh, Iggy, we gotta go. <laughs> the Christmas Spirit by Debbie McComber. Want to learn about the Christmas spirit? Sure. Two lifelong friends decide to trade places the week before Christmas and end up finding love along the way in this delightful novel from the Queen of Holiday Stories. Number one New York Times bestselling author, uh, Debbie McComber. Not really a real author. She probably paid to get that spot in the New York, uh, New York Times bestselling author bit. Uh, Peter Armstrong and Hank Colfax are best friends. Oh, but their lives couldn't be more different. Peter, the local pastor who's dedicated to his community, spending time visiting the flock, eh, attending meetings, and with the holiday season approaching, always oh, uh, preparing for the Christmas service and a live nativity. Yeah, and as a bartender, Hank serves a much different customer base than the family-owned tavern, uh, including a handful of lonely regulars and the local biker gang. When Peter scoffs that Hank has it easy compared to him, the two decide to switch jobs uh, until Christmas Eve. To their surprise, the responsibilities of a bartender and a pastor are similar, uh, but taking on the other's work is more difficult than either Peter or Hank expected. And as the two begin uh, to see each other in a new light and each discovers a new love to cherish, their lives are forever changed. In the Christmas spirit, Debbie McComber, McComber, I think I said that right, celebrates the true meaning of the holidays and the inclusive community spirit that binds us all. That's uh, The Christmas Spirit by Debbie McComber. It comes out October 18th, which is annoying because it's still Halloween, but fine. I guess fuck us. And for 22 bucks for hardcover at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, Bookshop.org, Hudson Booksellers, Inbound, Powell's Target, and Walmart. Well, my new wife's been here watching us the entire time, but now with the kid busting in, I'm not horny anymore, and I don't want to make sex in front of my new wife while she watches. Little pervert. Turns out she's into this shit, and it's weird. <laughs> so, <laughs> that, why don't we go back downstairs to my child who's waiting down there to read to us. <laughs> uh.
Okay, we're back. Uh, I'm back, and you've been sitting here waiting patiently. Mm-hmm. Uh, go ahead and read the rest. Okay, so this guy, McArdle, <laughs> says, this is all his quote. McArdle? Who is McArdle? Oh, this is the guy that entered the house. Yeah, one of the Thought two Thought he was of struck them. by lightning. Got yeah. it. And he wrote this later. Yes, on August 6, 1876. Okay. He says, when I had somewhat recovered from the dazing effect of the transition from uproar to silence, my first impulse was to reopen the door which I had closed, and from the knob of which I was not conscious of having removed my hand. I felt <laughs> so it... So laborious. <laughs> the writing is so meticulous. I felt it distinctly, <laughs> still in the clasp of my fingers. My notion was to ascertain by stepping again into the storm whether I had been deprived of sight and hearing. I turned the doorknob and pulled open the door. It led to another room. Exclamation point. Yeah. That's exciting. And no end quote. <laughs> we started Wait, a quote door... and we didn't end it. And oh, then we're just starting another one. Yeah. The, oh, you're right. <laughs> yeah, they were big on this. A lot of the public domain books I read, they will have a, a start quote and nothing. Then you know it's done because there's another start quote in the next yeah. paragraph. Uh, also, so... Maybe it's a typesetting thing. Like, this website is ancient. <laughs> It's stevecalvertco.uk. The background on this thing? (laughs) Actually, we have a lot of time. Let me take a a real quick look on... I want to look at the source of this HTML, and it is straight-up HTML from the 90s. Yeah, it's got one of those repeating backgrounds. Yeah. And then the text only takes up, like, maybe half of the screen. Yeah, this is really old HTML from the 90s. Like, this is how you learn how to do it in school. Let's see what it says. I'm wondering if it, like... Back in the day, people used to put their, their years on and in the code. Now he didn't do... Oh, he's even got a JavaScript. Oh, this is like early 2000s. Well, anyways, the point is, uh, I'm being annoying. The guy went in the door, mm-hmm. and then he had everything go silent, and he thought maybe he got struck by lightning. His hand is still in the doorknob. No. <laughs> Pay attention. So he didn't realize that he'd let go of the doorknob. Okay. And so he's standing in this room blind and deaf, and he's like, shit, what if I have gone blind and deaf? And then he's like, (laughs) so what he was going to do is he was going to open the door he just came in to double check that the storm was going on, and he's not having an aneurysm. So it's not that he's standing right next to the door, he just answered. He is. So he's he's just, he's pivoting, and he's putting his hand back out, and he's, what did he say he was? (laughs) He said that he. Though he wasn't holding it, he still felt it distinctly in the clasp of his fingers, the doorknob. Oh, okay. I love not having to pay attention to this, and I love having you explain it to me. This is the best episode ever. So he's like one step in this room, and he's like, I got to know if the storm's still happening or I've gone insane. And so he like does a 180, and he didn't realize that he'd let go of the door, but he has to reach out again and open the door. And then, so and when this he door that, it open, this door that's supposed to take you outside yeah. actually is another room. It, yeah. Okay, so it's not that he just got confused and opened up a different door in the house. No, because he hasn't gone anywhere. Also, he thinks he's walking around with the doorknob in his hand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> sure. Perfect. You nailed it. Okay, keep going. Okay. This apartment was suffused with a faint greenish light, the source of which I could not determine, making everything distinctly visible, though nothing was sharply defined. Everything, I say, but in truth, the only objects within the blank stone walls of that room were human corpses. In number, they were perhaps eight or ten. It may well be understood that I did not truly count them. They were of different ages, or rather sizes, from infancy up and of both sexes. They were prostrate on the floor, excepting one, apparently a young woman, who sat up, her back supported by the angle of the wall. 
A babe was clasped in the arms of another, an older woman. A half-grown lad lay face down across the legs of a full-bearded man. One or two were nearly naked, and the hand of a young girl held a fragment of a gown which she had torn open at the breast. Hmm. The bodies were in various stages of decay, all greatly shrunken in face and figure. Some were but little more than skeletons. Okay, let's review this paragraph. Uh... We haven't done anything. He has literally... <laughs> he's literally done a 180, opened the door he came in, and then went, <gasps> dead bodies! Okay. Uh, do you hate the format of my show? Because every Nothing paragraph has, has to be reviewed. <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> Go. Do the next paragraph. I'm just going to ask you what it happened. Go on. Okay, fine. <laughs> well, I stood stupefied with horror by this ghastly spectacle, and still holding open the door by some unaccountable perversity, my attention was diverted from the shocking scene and concerned itself with trifles and details. Perhaps my mind, with an instinct of self-preservation, sought relief in matters which I could, which would relax its dangerous tension. Among other things, I observed that the door that I was holding open was heavy, was of heavy iron plates, riveted. Equidistant from one another and from the top and bottom, three strong bolts protruded from the beveled edge. I turned the knob, and they were retracted flush with the edge, released it, and they shot out. It was a spring lock. On the inside, there was no knob, nor any kind of projection, a smooth surface of iron. Okay, so is he locked in the room? No, because he's holding the door open. <laughs> oh, my God. Your reading comprehension skills are in the toilet. Oh, when I'm the one reading, I pay a little bit more attention. I love having a guest reader because I can stop you every five <laughs> seconds and be like, what happened? He was so shocked that he was still holding onto the door because he, like, froze and was like, <gasps> dead bodies. And yeah. so it didn't close. He still got his hand on the door. But now it's made of metal. Yeah, Smooth one metal. side is made of metal, and then it's got no handle. It's what's, spring-locked. What's equidistant? Equally distant. <laughs> <laughs> Let's look it up. <laughs> I think it's, you know, context clues are telling me equally distant from one another. I hate having my almost college student on my show because <laughs> I'm smart. All right, fine. Go on. Read the next one. Okay. While noting these things with an interest and attention which it now astonishes me to recall, I felt myself thrust aside and judge Vey, whom in the intensity and vicissitudes of my feelings I had altogether forgotten, pushed by me into the room. For God's sake, I cried, do not go in there. Just get us out of this dreadful place. We don't have to review that. I understood that oh, one. No. <laughs> okay. It's his do companion. You know? oh, yes. Okay. His companion is pushing his way to the door. I if you knew who Judge Vey was. I actually didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I love having a guest reader. There's only two of them. It There's only matter. two people you have to remember. Nah, it could have been somebody else. Okay. Well, Go on. He gave no heed to my entreaties, but as a fearless a gentleman as lived in all the South, yeah, walked quickly to the center of the room, knelt beside one of the bodies for a closer examination, and tenderly raised its blackened and shriveled head in his hands. Gross. A strong, disagreeable odor came through the doorway, completely overpowering me. My senses reeled. I felt myself falling, and in the clutching and in clutching at the edge of the door for support, I pushed it shut with a sharp click. So he locked him in there. Idiot. <laughs> Did he lock him in there? He locked himself in there. Oh. He was so shocked that his buddy, Judge Vey, went to go touch, touch the, the dead body yeah. that he went to lean on the door for support and pushed it shut. What kind of a little... Uh... Fussy little The knobless steel door that we were so <laughs> intensely <laughs> described earlier. He took the time to describe it, even in this letter or whatever this is, and he should have known better. But it's an account. So it's a first-hand account. There was no, it was never sent to anyone. It's not a letter. 
then what is it's a first hand account. Where is this? This is like we're reading this person's first hand account. Yes, Where is it, it kept? Says, this diary? Yeah. Oh, is it? Yeah. The rest uh. of this adventure can as well be related in his own words from the Frankfurt Advocate. What's so that? It must be a, newspaper? Like a, a fake newspaper or something. Oh. So he like wrote this and sent it. To the newspaper. So he took the time to tell the newspaper all the details about this door, but then also when he saw a southern gentleman touch a corpse, he's like, oh, my vapors. And then he wound up letting the door close on him. Moron. Mm -hmm. Keep going. I remember no more. Six weeks later, I recovered my reason in a hotel at Manchester, whither I had been taken by strangers the next day. For all these weeks, I had suffered from a nervous fever, attended with constant delirium. I had been found lying in the road several miles away from the house, but how I had escaped from it to get there, I never knew. On recovery, or as soon as my physicians permitted me to talk, I inquired the fate of Judge Vey, whom, to quiet me, as I now know, they represented as well and at home. No boy. No one believed a word of my story, and who can wonder? What? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I thought it was going to keep going, it just stopped. (laughs) And who can imagine my grief when, arriving home in Frankfurt two months later, I learned that Judge Bay had never been heard of since that night. I regretted bitterly the pride which since the first few days after the... I regretted bitterly the pride which since the first few days after after the recovery of my reason Mm. had forbidden me to repeat my discredited story and insist upon its truth. My discredited story. So they discredited his story. Who's Judge Bay? The dead friend. <laughs> I'm just fucking with you at this uh, point. <laughs> I was like, there's only two characters. I know, that's what makes it so fun. All right, so no one believes him. The guy's dead. He never came out. Mm-hmm. Go on. With all that afterward occurred, the examination of the house, the failure to find any room corresponding to that which I have described, the attempt to have adjusted insane, have me adjusted insane, and my <laughs> triumph over my accusers, the readers of The Advocate are familiar. After all these years, I am still confident that excavations, which I have neither the legal right to undertake nor the wealth to make, would disclose the secret of the disappearance of my unhappy friend, and possibly of the former occupants and owners of the deserted and now destroyed house. I do not despair of yet bringing about such a search, and it is a source of deep grief to me that it has been delayed by the undeserved hostility and unwise incredulity of the family and friends of the late Judge Bay. Who's Judge Bay? I I'm, I'm swear having fun. to God. I'm having fun. I this swear is a lot to God. of fun. I'm going to throw something at you. <laughs> You're just out of arm's reach. There's a tiny thing at the bottom you got to finish reading. Colonel McArdle died in Frankfurt on the 13th day of December in the year of 19, 1879. Well, with that, why don't we retire to the smoking room where my uh, child, Audrey, is going to give us a review of what the hell we just read. Here we are uh, in the smoking room. Uh, what do you think of it? <laughs> so he wrote this thing. Oh, okay. No, hold on. I got to well, talk about the room. What do you think about no, the room? No, no, no. I'm talking about the dates. Hey, you don't like my smoking so, room? Okay, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. He wrote, he wrote this account and sent it to this fake news. Well, is it fake? Probably fake newspaper. It's supposed to be fake. You want to look it up, see if it's fake? <laughs> I bet you it's fake. Okay, so the fake newspaper on August 6th of 1876. And then the bottom, it says he died in December of 1879. So he only lived three more years after that. Oh, doing what? Writing this Well, crap trying and- to get this house excavated. Did you read? Did you learn nothing from what we just read? Oh, God, here comes that cat. My boy! <laughs> come here, come here. Come here. 
<clears throat> trying to get the house excavated to find uh, his judge friend. Yeah, the room full of dead bodies, which now holds his... Oh, he's just clawing right up on your shoulders there. Okay. We have so many episodes of you coming down here with this cat on your shoulders like a parrot. I it's like ridiculous. Him. Can you hear him? Probably. Is he purring? Aww. We'll find out if we can hear him later. All right, so he spends three years doing that uh, after writing this article for this fake newspaper. What do you... Can you dig well, into the story? Well, it's five years total, because he said that he was in the hospital for like two. Oh, okay. And then he was almost declared insane, but yeah. he won. Because he won? How did he win? That's what it said. No, I heard you read that part. I actually went back and reread it. Don't step it. on the oh, keyboard. Don't step on the keyboard. Um, don't step on the keyboard. I don't think no. he won. He just didn't get put in prison for murder. Um, hold on. Someone's really walking around above us. Yeah. It's really squeaking like crazy. Oh, it's a lot of feet up there. It says, the attempt to have me adjudged insane and my triumph over my accusers. That's pretty vague. Yeah. You can describe a little bit how he triumphed over them. How do you have this It says, the readers of The Advocate are already familiar. (laughs) So it's our fault, I guess. So this isn't his first article he submitted to this local paper. (laughs) That's adorable. Well, what... uh, Recap the story. Are these people idiots? Uh, just a general recap. Two guys go into what's known locally as a super haunted house. Well, they, they didn't really want to. There was this huge storm going on. Do they and live then, in the area? Do they know the house is haunted? I didn't catch that part. Okay, I'm just being difficult to stretch things out. Let's see, let's see, let's see. One night in June 1859, two citizens of Frankfurt... Is this home in Frankfurt? Um, I don't think so, because it says he returns to Frankfurt afterward. Okay, okay, they were going... From Frankfurt to Boonville to Manchester. So, I don't know where those are, so but that's Boonville what... Boonville is this town, I no, suppose? No, Manchester. The destination was Manchester. So, they're somewhere along the way to Manchester. Okay. And they see this house. So, they're not really from the area, I think. Okay. And so, it's like super storming, lots of lightning, mm-hmm. and they're like, here's a house. And so, they don't know anything, even though they... The beginning of the story spells out how really haunted this house is, but um, these guys just don't know any better. So Yeah, I don't think they're really from the area. So the story would have benefited from... Because it says in from... here that they arrived opposite the spook house, but it's in quotes. Yeah. So it's like, we know what that is, but I don't think they'd have any idea. Because they walk up there and they try and knock and see if anyone's there. And if they knew it was a spook house, they'd know it was abandoned. Yeah. And they wouldn't even try. Yeah. So that's the thing that's weird about this story is that takes the time to really give you a lot of exposition about this house, even though to the people walking in, it means nothing. Yeah. It would have been better if they just walked into this abandoned Because they house. just wanted to get out of the storm. Like, yeah. I think they ditched their horses, I don't know, their team yeah. in the shed, and then they went up to the house and knocked on all the doors and didn't hear anything, so then they just pushed one open and we're going to sit out the storm. Right, right. Okay. So they get in. Uh, the only scary thing that happens is he just opens up a room with a bunch of dead bodies, which apparently is in a parallel divent, uh, uh, dimension or something. Uh, and then gets locked in and mysteriously wakes up in a hospital. Yeah. Ambrose Pierce. Yeah. What do you think of I that? am oh. a little confused because it says, I, I thought they were on horses, right? It's 1850-something. Um, but it says they drove up so here at the top. it's got to be horses. It says they were driving from Boonville to Manchester, and their business was so important that they decided to push on. So they were driving, but then it says that they got there, and then they had to ditch their team, which I assume are their horses. Probably the horses. Well, that's our recap. What's good about this story? Mm. 
<laughs> it's not bad, obviously. Yeah. I think the writing is pretty spot on for how they usually wrote in the 18 whatever. True, it's pretty concise considering when it was written. Yeah. Uh, what sucks? <laughs> You're gonna be able to probably well, go on for a while with that one. I mean, yeah, there's, there's a not lot much of, of a story. But, oh, that sucks. There's this whole like four paragraph, three paragraph situation at the top here mm-hmm. that isn't even his account, and it just tells you like where it is, what the house is, yeah. who lived there, and I think you probably could have put that in his account because if he was writing this for a newspaper, people yeah. would want the background of the house. It probably makes the story more interesting that it's like actually him writing this is the house we wound up stumbling into blah blah blah. Yeah. But instead yeah, I we also have some mysterious narrator yeah. just explaining all this to us. I also don't give a shit about the history of the house. <laughs> like this whole first paragraph is it's telling you it's in Manchester in eastern Kentucky 20 miles away there was a plantation house it was better quality than the other dwellings in that <laughs> yeah, region. Yeah that's true that was a, that was a weird little and detail. And like there was a fire the following year and then it speculates on why there was a fire mm-hmm. and then it's like name dropping people <laughs> like General Kirby Smith from I know, Cumberland it's Gap. Really specific information and which it, never comes back around so that oh. was useless information. I didn't, and also, I didn't are, need any of that. How many years later was it that these guys stumbled in because are the cows and the slaves and everyone still standing around there when they come stumbling into the house during lightning storm? I don't know when it was built because it just said 20 miles away stood in 1862, a wooden plantation house. So I don't know when it was built, but... Well, when it was abandoned, when they left all the animals and the slaves there. I think probably 1862, and then he shows up in 76. Oh, okay. So it's been... It's been a while. There's no cow still wandering. There's no slaves still sitting there. Well, what do we learn in this story? Just don't go into a house... This story's almost it nothing. It seemed like they did the right thing, right? You're, yeah, we, take shelter. What, get struck by lightning or yeah. break into someone's abandoned house? Yeah. So even if you do the right thing, you're going to lose your friend who's a judge? There's no point to this story. This story doesn't really have much going for it. Well, I think it was because, like, the judge wanted to go help the people. Like, he went over there and tried to, like, check oh. if any of them were alive. And so he so was, like, trapped and killed. What we learned is but since never he was help like, anyone. Oh, my God. Oh, no. And then he wanted nothing to do with it. And he was, like, examining the door. Yeah. So maybe never. Or maybe you have to, like, touch him or something. Because weren't they all, like, laying on top of each other? Yeah, there was like a woman who tore at her own shirt. Somebody else. Yeah, was holding and there was a baby. one like holding a baby, and then yeah. said there was one that was like laying on the legs of another guy. So maybe it's the touching. That. Oh, so never touch anything. Ever. If you go. <laughs> <laughs> never. <laughs> ever. All right. So if you ever got to get out out of a lightning storm into an abandoned house, just don't touch anything. And if you feel like there's still a doorknob in your hand while you're walking around, just stay still. Wait for sunrise. I mean, he did the right thing, not letting go of the metal one. But then he hmm. pushed it shut out of <laughs> yeah, like shock. Yeah, exactly. Also, try to get more used to corpses. That would be another thing to help you not get well, trapped what? in Well, what? It's like 1860-something. I'm sure people there were just lying dead There should be dead, dead bodies all the time. Yeah. I mean, there was like, during that time in cities like New York, a horse would die, and they didn't have the infrastructure to clean up that dead horse on the side of the street. It would just stay there for weeks, rotting. So they should be used to corpses. What's with this uh, milk toast over here? Fainting mm. and locking himself in the room. Well, with that, uh, that's the end of our episode. Uh, thanks for listening. Thank you, Audrey, for being my guest reader. <laughs> I'm thinking I can say anything. No. I'm not saying you're welcome. I was coerced. You just dead-eyed me. All right, fine. Well, with that, uh, I'll be back again next week.
Ah, uh, well, it appears you found me in the part of the podcast I hate the most, where I tell you all about the places on the internet where you can find me. You can tell I hate this because of the sound effects making it sound like a stormy night uh, in the drawing room of the damned. Now, there's there's that. Uh, I, I, are you cool? I like cool people. It's the reason why I got involved in this business to begin with, just to meet cool people, not losers. So if you're cool, uh, feel free to go over to my website, uh, nuzzlehouse.com. We can see a backlog of everything I've ever read, including stuff like gestating the curious mind with my lady friend and also a, a little side project I'm going to be doing with my daughter. Oh, I'm on Instagram, but no one uses that anymore because they all use TikTok. Am I ever going to get on TikTok? No, but if you want to look at my dead Instagram, it's at uh, HouseNuzzle. I also have Twitter, which I use the most, which is also conveniently at HouseNuzzle. Uh, and since, uh, since I think you might be cool, you can always just email me directly. Glenn.Nuzzles at gmail.com. But don't, uh, don't email if you're a, a nerdlinger or a dork. Now, back to business. I can't believe I drank all of them already. There's got to be one left. <laughs>